0: Chapter 30 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 30 relates what Oliver's new visitors thought of him. With so many local assurances that they would be agreeably surprised in the aspect of the criminal the doctor threw the young lady's arm through one of his and offering his disengaged hand to mrs Maylie, led them with much ceremony and stateliness upstairs now said the doctor in a whisper as he softly turned the handle of a breadwin door let us hear what you think of him "'He has not been shaved recently, but he doesn't look at all ferocious notwithstanding. "'Stop though. Let me first see that he is in visiting order.' "'Stepping before them, he looked into the room. "'Motioning them to advance, he closed the door when they had entered "'and gently drew back the curtains of the bed. "'Upon it, in lieu of the dogged, black-visaged ruffian they had expected to behold—' There lay a mere child, worn with pain and exhaustion, and sunk into a deep sleep. His wounded arm, bound and slintered up, was crossed upon his breast. His head reclined upon the other arm, which was half hidden by his long hair, as it streamed over the pillow. The honest gentleman held the curtain in his hand, and looked on for a minute or so, in silence. While he was watching the patient thus... The younger lady glided softly past, and seating herself in the chair by the bedside gathered Oliver's hair from his face. As she stooped over him, her tears fell upon his forehead. The boy stirred and smiled in his sleep, as though these marks of pity and compassion had awakened some pleasant dream of love and affection he had never known. Thus a strain of gentle music, or the rippling of water in a silent place, or the odour of a flower, or the mention of a familiar word, will sometimes call cool up certain dim remembrances of scenes that never were, in this life, which vanished like a breath, which some brief memory of a happier existence, long gone by, would seem to have awakened, which no voluntary exertion of the mind can ever recall. What can this mean exclaimed the older lady this poor child will never have be been the pupil of robbers vice said the surgeon repeating the curtain takes up her abode in many a temples and who can say that a fair outside shall not enshrine her but it's so early an age urged rose my dear young lady rejoined the surgeon mournfully shaking his head. crime like death is not confined to the old and withered alone the youngest and fairest are too often its chosen victims but how can, can you-oh can you really believe that this delicate boy has been the voluntary associate of the worst outcasts of society that rose the surgeon shook his head in a manner which intimated that he feared it was very possible and observing that they might disturb the patient led the way into an adjoining apartment. but even if he had been wicked pursued rose think how young he is thinketh think he never have known of mother's love or the comforts of a home that illusions of blows or the want of bread may have driven him to her with men who forced him to guilt and Dear and for mercy's sake, think of this before you will let them drag this sick child to prison, which, in any case might be the grave of all his chances of amendment. Oh, as you love me and know, I have never will want of parents in your goodness and affection, but that I might have done so, and might have been equally helpless and unprotected with this poor child. A pity upon him before it is too late, my dear love. "'said the older lady, as she folded the weeping girl to her bosom. "'Do you think I would harm a hair of his head?' "'Oh, no,' replied the rose eagerly. "'No, surely,' said the old lady, "'my days are drawing to their close, "'and may mercy be shown to me as I show it to others. "'What can I do to save him, sir?' "'Let me think, ma'am.' Said the doctor, "Let me think." Mister. Lawsburn thrust his hands into his pockets and served several turns up and down the room, often stopping and balancing himself on his toes and frowning frightfully. After various explanations of, "I've got it now," and, "No, I haven't," and as many renewals of the walking and frowning he at length to a dead halt and spoke as follows i think if you'll give me all the unlimited commission to bully giles and little boy brittles i can manage it giles is a faithful fellow and an old servant i know that you can make it up to him a thousand ways and applaud him for being such a good shot besides you don't object to that unless there is some other way of preserving the child replied mrs maylie there is no other," said the doctor. "No other. Take my word for it." And my aunt invests you with full power," said Rose, smiling through her tears. "Pray don't be hard upon the little old fellow. That is indispensably necessary." You seem to think," retorted the doctor, "that everybody is disposed to be hard-hearted today, except yourself, Miss Rose." "'I only hope, for the sake of the uh, mild sex generally, "'that you may be found in its vulnerable and soft-hearted mood where the first eligible young fellow appeals to your compassion, "'and I wish I were a young fellow, "'that I might avail myself on the spot on such a favourable opportunity for doing so at the present.' "'You are as great a boy as little Brittles himself,' returned Rose, blushing.' Well said <laughs> the doctor, laughing heartily. Ha <laughs> ha That is no great difficult matter, but to return to the boy. The great point of our agreement is yet to come. He will wake in an hour or so, I dare say, and although I have told the thick headed constable fellow downstairs that he mustn't be moved or spoken to, on peril of his life, I think we may converse with him without danger now i take the stipulation that i shall examine him in your presence and that if from what he says we judge and i can show to the satisfaction of your cool reason that he is a real and thorough baron which is more than possible he shall be left to his fate without any further interference on my part to all events, oh no aunt entreated rose oh yes aunt said the doctor is it a bargain it cannot be hard at advice, said brose It is impossible. Very good, retorted the doctor. That is so much the more reason for acceding to my proposition. Finally, the treaty was entered into, and the parties thereunto sat down to wait, with some impatience, until Oliver should wake. The patience of the two ladies was destined to undergo a longer trial than Mr. Losborne had led them to expect. For hour after hour passed on, and still all of us slumbered heavily. It was evening, indeed, before the kind-hearted doctor had brought them the intelligence that he was at length sufficiently restored to be spoken to. The boy was very ill, he said, and weak from the loss of blood, But his mind was so troubled with anxiety to disclose something that he deemed it better to give him the opportunity than to insist on his remaining quiet until next morning, which he would otherwise have done. The conference was a long one. Oliver told them all his simple history, was often compelled to stop. I want in want of strength. It was a solemn thing to hear in the darkened room, the feeble voice of the sick child, recounting a weary catalogue of evils and calamities which hard men had brought upon him. Oh, if when we press and grind our fellow creatures, we bestowed but one thought on the dark evidences of human error, which, like dense and heavy clouds, are rising, slowly it is true, but not less surely to heaven, to pour the after vengeance on our heads, if we heard but one instant in imagination the deep testimony of dead humans voices, which no power can stifle, and no pride shut out where would be the injury and injustice the suffering misery cruelty and wrong that each day's life brings with it oliver's pillow was smoothed by gentle hands that night a loveliness and virtue watched him as he slept he felt calm and happy and could have died without a murmur the momentous interview was no sooner concluded and Oliver composed to rest again, then the doctor, after wiping his eyes and condemning them for being weak all at once, betook himself downstairs to open upon Mr. Giles, and finding nobody but the parlours, it occurred to him that he could perhaps originate the proceedings with a better effort in the kitchen. So into the kitchen he went. There were assembled in that lower house of the domestic parliament the woman servants, Mr. Brittles, Mr. Giles, the Tinker who had received a special invitation to regale himself for the remainder of the day in consideration of his services and the constable the later gentleman had a large staff a large head large features and large half boots, and he looked as if he had been taking a proportional allowance of ale as indeed he had the adventures of the previous night were still under discussion for mr giles was expatiating upon his presence of mind when the doctor entered mr brittles with a mug of ale in his hand was corroborating everything before his superior said it sit still said the doctor waving his hand like you sir said sir giles "Missus wish some ale to be given out sir and as i felt no way inclined for my own little room sir and was disposed for company i am taking mine among em here Riddles held it a low murmur, by which the ladies and gentlemen generally were understood to express the gratification they derived from Mister Giles's condensation. Mister Giles looked round with a patronizing air, as much as is to say that so long as they behaved properly, he would never desert them. How is the patient tonight, sir? Asked Giles. So so, returned the doctor. I'm afraid you've got yourself into a scrape there, Mr Giles. I hope you don't mean to say, sir, said Mr Giles, trembling, that he's going to die. If I thought it, I would never be happy again. I wouldn't cut a boy off, no, not even brittles here, nor for all the plate in the country, sir. That's not the point, said the doctor, mysteriously. Mr Giles, are you a Protestant? Yes, sir. I hope so. Faltered, Mister Giles, who had turned very pale. And what are you, boy? said the doctor, turning sharply upon Brittles. Lord bless me, sir," replied Riddles, starting violently. Almost same as Mister Giles, sir. And tell me this," said the doctor. Both of you, both of you, are you going to take on yourself to swear? that the boy. Upstairs is the boy that was put through the little window last night. Out with it! Come, we are prepared for you. A doctor, who was universally considered one of the best-tempered creatures on earth, made this demand in such a dreadful tone of anger that trials and brittles, who were considerably muddled by ale and excitement, stared at each other in a state of stupefaction. Pay attention to the reply, constable, will you?' said the doctor, shaking his forefinger with a great solemnity of manner, and tapping the bridge of his nose with it to bespeak the exercise of that worthy's utmost acuteness. "'Something may come of this before long.' "'The constable looked as wise as he could "'and took up his staff of office, "'which had been reclining indolently in the chimney-corner. "'It's a simple question of identity, you will observe.' "'That's what it is, sir,' replied the constable, coughing with great violence. "'For <coughs> he had finished his ale in a hurry, "'and some of it had gone the wrong way. "'Here's the house broken into.' And the doctor and a couple of men catch one moment's glimpse of a boy in the midst of gunpowder smoke, and in all the distraction of alarm and darkness. It is a boy who comes to that very same house next morning, and because he happens to have his arm tied up, these men lay violent hands upon him, by doing which they place his life in great danger, and swear he is a thief. Now, the question is whether these men are justified by the fact, if not, in what situation do they place themselves? The constable nodded profoundly. He said if that wasn't law, he would be glad to know what was. I asked you again, under the doctor, are you on your solemn oaths able to identify that boy? Brittles looked doubtfully at Mr Giles. Mr Giles looked doubtfully at Brittles. The constable put his hand behind his ear to fetch a reply. The two women in the tinker leaned forward to listen. The doctor glanced keenly around, when a ring was heard at the gate, and at the same moment the sound of wheels. "'It's the waters, cried Brittles, to all appearance much relieved. "'The what?' exclaimed the doctor, aghast, in his turn. the through one officer, sir,' replied Brittles, taking a candle. "'Me and Mr. Jones sent for one this morning.' "'What?' exclaimed the doctor. "'Yes,' replied Brittles. I've sent a message up by the coachman, and I only wonder there what here before, sir. You did, did you? That would confound your slow coaches down here. That's all," said the doctor, walking away. The end of Chapter Thirty.